Hey humans, how's it going? Susan Ruth here. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hey Human Podcast. This is episode 191, and I sat down here in Los Angeles, California with Michelangelo. He's a visual effects artist, a documentarian, a homeless advocate, and a fire performer. Mostly, we talked about his career up until now and a documentary that he is working on about the Tree Man of Venice. Tree Man is a homeless uh, artisan. He is a gigantic, if you've ever been to Venice, California, uh, Venice Beach, California, you'll see this looming tree person, and that's Lionel, the Tree Man. And Michael met him uh, a few years back and uh, started doing this documentary about him. He gets into the whole story. I mean, that's just that's barely skimming the story. So we will definitely get into it here. Throughout this, you will hear poor Michael snuffling. I really appreciate the fact that he came for this interview because he had a cold and, you know, you can hear him, uh, you know, with the, with the snorfling here and there, poor thing. And he suffered through it kindly <laughs> so that I could interview him. Uh, for New Year's Day, I came down with the flu. So that was really exciting. Apparently, a lot of people here in California have the flu. I was one of them. I threw up a lot. It was real fun. I'm finally back on the mend. Thank goodness. I slept three days straight and had some really, really weird fever dreams. Don't even know. In one of them, a gigantic snake came out of the tree and ate my father. It was very distressing. It was this huge... It was... um. If you ever seen the movie Beetlejuice, you know that snake that Beetlejuice turns into, the like, kind of cobra snake? It was like that, this massive thing, and then it came and gobbled him up. It was really terrible. I had to, in the morning, I called my dad and just to make sure he was okay. I'm sure poor dad's like, you know, this is what happens when you drop lots of acid in high school. This is, this is the payback for that. <laughs> so... Anyway, that's probably neither here nor there. Okay, let's get back to this. So Michael and I uh, had a nice long chat and uh, it's he's really doing some wonderful, wonderful work. So I'm excited for you to hear this episode. In other news, social media, Hey Human Podcast is on uh, Instagram and Facebook. And I am on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook under Susan Ruthism. You can check out heyhumanpodcast.com. There's a links page on there that is full up of stuff from every episode. This episode is no different. It's uh, got book references and movie stuff and articles and all that. So definitely check that out. Rate and review Hey Human on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast. And what else? Susan at heyhumanpodcast.com if you want to email me. Uh, donate if you are feeling like giving to this ad-free podcast. Please do so. Uh, you can do so on the donate page there on the website as well. I feel like there's probably something else. Ooh, I know what. I'm super duper excited because I get to go see Parasite tomorrow. No spoilers. I have no idea what this movie is about. I just know it's going to be incredible because I love this writer-director. So cannot wait for that. So excited. I think that's about it out of my life and the show. And thank you for listening. And go on and tell one person about this show, uh, a friend, a family member, somebody you work with, a stranger. Let's get the word out. Hey, Human Podcast. 
Thank you for listening. Thank you for being supportive and wonderful and helping to spread the word and all the good stuff. All right, here we go. Michelangelo, welcome to Hey Human. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> You're my first podcast guest in the new configuration in this room, such as it is. <laughs> You're my first podcast host, so we have something in common. Oh, you've never been on first. a podcast? No. I don't know why you seem like the modern guy that would be on a on a podcast all the time or something. I listen to them a lot. I mean, I learn yeah. from the stories of other people. It's one of my big passions. Yeah, it's a good one. I, I do, too. I, what's some of your favorite podcasts? Yours. <laughs> nice. What no, else? Absolutely. absolutely. I mean, I, I really gravitate to your podcast. Oh, because thank you. Hey, human. I mean, h- humanist stories are, you know, big in my mind because I'm trying to always uh, solve this challenge we call like humanity. I look at humanity like, like a chess problem. I like to play chess, hmm. and I'm constantly trying to make it better because my life is good enough that I have that opportunity to do so. I'm not starving on the streets. I'm not in a war-torn part of the world. So I'm. I'm trying to figure out how to give to the world and make it better. That's good. That's a good uh, mode to be in, I think. Yeah. So your <laughs> so your podcast, I guess, is my point is that <clears throat> really drew me in. So when I met you, and then it's been a couple of years now, right? Yeah, it's been. We met at Jefferson's house on his. Uh, they call it. Is it fire night? So they call it. I'm going to adjust this really quick. So apologies if it makes horrible noise for the listeners. There we go. Okay. Yeah. Well. I was yeah. with my friend Nikki, and we were on the porch. No, I remember. I remember. Oh, you remember? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You were wearing pigtails. You look so good in pigtails. Oh, you look so thanks. awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Got them on today. I They're know. on. I'm wearing them. I, yeah, yeah. Is it wearing pigtails if you just put your hair in pig? You're asking me? Uh, yeah, well. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, look at my hair. It's so short. I don't... I don't um, yeah, you were at Marine-like. I had... Yeah, yeah, I had long hair in, in college. Oh, yeah. yeah I think I I've seen some, a picture of that. Yeah, I have some pretty funny pictures of that, you know? It's yeah. kind of you know groovy, groovy yeah because i think we met before i moved here so mm-hmm. i was still contemplating you were talking about moving here mm-hmm. exactly mm-hmm. i talked about it for quite a while before i did it but it was interesting Scary. when i started mentioning tree man to you mm-hmm. the subject of my documentary mm-hmm. um we're gonna get into all that stuff yeah cool. you really gravitated towards that kind of to a story about you know giving and yeah. uh so I, dug, I think it's interesting that we're here now. Yeah, I dig what you're doing. I dug what you were doing then. Um, you were you were just you were in the throes of collecting footage and things, right? Back then. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say I'm in that throw. I'd say we're at the end of that journey. Like principal photography is literally wrapping up this week. That's exciting. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think we had our ending quite then, but now we have our ending. Yeah. But, uh, it's good that life works like that. Yeah, so documentaries are fascinating in the sense, I mean, <clears throat> I've worked on other people's documentaries. I mean, just for your listeners so they know, I have a history of film and television. Yeah, um, I'm going to interview all that stuff out of you. Yeah, you are? Okay, <laughs> yeah, I'm well, ask you, about you your drive background. the boat. I, I, I was trying, I thought <laughs> no, I should No, but it's good that you mentioned it, for sure. For yeah, sure. yeah. Well, how do we start then? I, well, I, no, finish your statement because I, I want to hear. Okay, what so saying. yeah, so um, you know, I've spent a lifetime in the visual arts and film and television because I was really, much, I was really driven towards the arts. I think I didn't have my. I was going to be a painter actually, and I just was like, how am I going to like 
feed myself as a painter and I don't think I believed in my own ability mm. at the young age of 17. <laughs> so I, um, I went, I decided, you know, I traveled the world and just bought a one-way ticket and traveled the world for a little bit and then came back. And then when I saw filmmaking, and I was like, oh, and film and television and storytelling. I'm like, okay, that's kind of creative, but I bet there's a way you could make money. Mm -hmm. And um, I did production for a while. Um, I worked in the camera department. I did uh, in college all these internships at Lucasfilm. So I worked at a company called THX and did research for them. And then I got to sneak into Industrial Light and Magic and look at their dailies. I don't know. It's a long career Explain story. Explain what a daily is for people that don't know. Yeah, dailies are so when they shoot the visual effects plates um, in Industrial Light and Magic for Star Wars and what have you, um, they'll wake up really early the next morning after the production day and they'll review in a screening room the raw material. And uh, the visual effects supervisor, maybe the director, it really depends on where you're having dailies, will often have a red pointer and they'll start pointing at things and, and looking at things and saying, okay, this is underexposed or we need we'll need to shoot a plate for this mm. I mean that's very specific to visual effects compositing because you're looking at layering things it's like Photoshop you know layering all those layers except it's moving <laughs> <laughs> so that's what I do for a living Wow to pay for my documentary uh, addiction <laughs> <laughs> uh, habit and um, so you know many years later I was in production and then it led me um, into post-production which is editing so from camera to editing and then from there, I got into visual effects, and that was a real nice fit. Mm. Um, but to, to end it, I guess the point was, is I got to a point in my career where, where really, uh, being from San Francisco, I just wanted to play with the big big kids. And, um, and so I ended up going to New York and LA markets, and then once I had like all these movie stars on my, my reel of stuff I've worked on, I was like, well, what do I do? And that's when I turned to start gifting documentaries to artists uh, experiencing homelessness. Yeah. All right. Well, let's go back. It's beautiful. Uh, <laughs> and also, I want to mention, I just watched this video, uh, Michael Caine talking about the process of acting. He was 50-something at the time, so it must have been quite a while ago, because I think he's much older now. Uh, but he said... As actors, they shouldn't look at dailies because it'll get in your head that it should not ever go to the dailies. They just ignore that they're even going on. I thought that was funny. No, I've I've heard that actually recently on a on a podcast oh, from really? another actor. Yeah, yeah, same thing. Isn't that interesting? Let's go back to the beginning where I like to start. You were born in California or where? Um, yeah, I was born in San Francisco. Um, from my mom was a fourth generation from the Bay Area. We were born in the same hospital. Well, technically, I was born in Oakland, so we were born born in the same hospital, the same doctor in Oakland. So that's um, kind of cool. Yeah, so fourth generation, and um, technically right in the line of Oakland and Berkeley. Very mixed community. She went to a um, ninety nine point nine percent all black uh, high school. Um, and so, you know, we grew up in a very diverse part of the world. And, and for those listening, you're white, you're not black? I'm a white guy, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and my father was born in Italy, and he immigrated when he was a kid from Italy with the whole family, and he had to go through a restaurant to get to his bedroom uh, in, the, in Berkeley, yeah. <laughs> and um, 
so restaurant business became a big part of my blood when I was younger. I learned to work really hard. That's um, hard work. Yeah. So we, all we do is when I, I used to, my parents got separated. So I used to I really built a relationship with my father when I was about 12. And we just worked at the restaurant from like, I would, you know, you wake up, you start, you get to the restaurant, you work. And then you close the restaurant at like almost midnight and then you go to Chinatown and eat in the middle of the morning and then you wake up late and do it all over again. That was, it created a good work, work ethic from both when did you my go to school? father and mother. Um, so those were more summers or weekends. Oh, okay. Got it. But I learned to work because my mom made me work. She was a struggling single mom and I, it was great because I had money and then I gave me independence. And um, so I have a very strong work ethic um, from a young age. And just enjoy it. So, mm -hmm. so I plugged it into the art world. What took you into? You talked about going to work for in the film and and wanting to be a painter, and then deciding at a pretty young age that that wasn't going to be the the path. But what made you choose the the fork in the road that you did? Well, yeah, it was, I think it was just a kind of a spidey sense that you know becoming a painter might not um, I wouldn't be able to survive and. One could argue that going into the arts of film and television is also not a... <laughs> yeah, but at the time, there was enough television. I think I really aimed at television first because I saw that as a viable in uh, income. Mm -hmm. I could see that you could, you could do it. Mm -hmm. and, um, and so... Uh, and, and then it was a visual arts, and, uh, and then I just got sucked into it. But what I saw also early, again, I, I thought about survival, you know, and combining survival with the arts. So... I did internships earlier than anybody. I started when I was like a sophomore. People were like, why, you know, you don't do that to your junior year. I'm like, no, I created a special major. I was auditing master's program uh, classes, uh, graduate classes when I was an undergraduate and built a special major around interactive learning. And, um, and then I got an internship at Lucasfilm. Right, you mentioned that, right. it's so cool. Yeah, so I was actually Talk working at learning. Skywalker Ranch. So crazy. Is where I went to work. Our first intern, they hired me within like like a month or two. They were like, oh yeah, this this, this kid's gonna, we're gonna get a lot out of him. So they, they it was, you know, internship at first and- Which means free? Free, oh absolutely. So they had Skywalker Sound where they mix all the big movies to this day, it's like the spot. Uh, we used to eat in the house, uh, the main house, which was milled from an old um, redwood bridge that was torn down, and it was all Craftsman's era, with uh, George Lucas and would be there sometimes dining with different um, celebrities, and then the chef was from I can't remember. Uh, Did they keep you sequestered from all that, or were you? No, that? no. I mean, I think now it is, but when I was there in college, it was pretty chill. So, you know, you did, and then you know. Um, uh, and that's that was that's where I worked. It was you know a little bit of a drive to go out to Lucas Valley. It was in Marin County, so I had to go from the city and and commute. Um, what an education! Yeah. So so it's it's interesting is that um, I'll fast forward just a little bit that for the documentary I'm making now it's all done with volunteers, and because I wanted the story to reflect our main character, the way he gives to strangers, and so I end up going to schools and speaking about career building and I pull from all that internship experience and say look if you do this you can get a job and then I say at the end if you want to work on our film by the way I have an entrance yeah <laughs> so I end up like mentoring all these kids I mean a lot of times I'll speak at schools and we won't recruit anybody and that's fine that's not why I do it it's really to kind of help mentor young mm -hmm. people who are trying to find their way and 
and give them some advice. So that advice were for me, I had nine job offers when I got out of college, just turned them all down, went freelance. I turned and you've it, done some big commercials and things, right? Well, at the time, no, I hadn't done then. Um, but now, yeah, I work on Super Bowl commercials. I work on giant Mar like Marvel movies and those kind of things. Though I would say in the last, you know, so many years, I've been mixing that work and working a lot on the documentary. So I don't sleep much. <laughs> I know what that's like. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but then I graduated and I um, uh, had all these job offers. I actually turned down a job from Industrial Light and Magic because I was like, I couldn't afford it at the time in my mind. Now that I look back, I mean, I would right do, now be... On, what do you mean by that? Well, I mean, I, I, you know, I was... The other independence part was, you know, I made my own money to pay for everything. That includes school and what have you. Um, I did get some st student loans later, uh, some from my mom remarried later. But at the very beginning, like all that stuff was straight out of pocket. And um, so for me, it was like, if I go to the ILM and work there, they're going to pay me minimum wage when I'm a freelancer and I'm making a day rate as a, as a commercial person. So that's an interesting career choice. I might be, I might be, you know, having dinner right now with Steven Spielberg had I not, had I taken that job. Paths, right? I'll give you another one. This is actually a killer story. <laughs> another job I turned down. I love this for the audience that are listening to this that are, um, that are into this movie. So I heard I, I, you know, I would volunteer on shoots because that's how you get ahead. I mean, that's why I tell people like I would go volunteer on different independent films, commercials, and then people would be like, hey, this guy was great. You should hire him for a gig. So I would get all this work. And so I volunteered on this commercial and he said, oh, yeah, you know, I've got this animation. It's stop motion animation thing. And and so I thought, OK, cool, I'll go check it out. And they're like, OK, so you're going to have to have your own car, pay for your own car insurance. You're going to get minimum wage. You're not going to get meals. And I'm like, how am I going to afford to do this? And I'm like, well, let me look. And I went and looked at their stop motion thing, their setup. And they were recording with all these wooden blocks and stuff. And I'm like, where are the computers? And they're like, oh, no, we do it old school. I'm like, this is so this is lame, right? But I'm like, all right, not lame, but I'm like, that's cool. But like, come on, like computers. And how old like, were you? I was, uh, I don't remember, 20 somewhere. So, so then they show me the script. I sign an NDA, right? This before it comes out, and I'm reading this script, and it's like Halloween Town and Christmas Town and all this. I'm like, what a stupid script! No one's ever gonna like this movie. And then, of course, that's the Nightmare Before Christmas. One of the greatest. And you know, if you look at the way that I've put my heart and soul into anything I've done, had I done ILM or done that, I think my career would have just went f you know faster forward so uh those are a couple live and learns <laughs> but the path that brought me where i am today was very much um you know working in the san francisco market and kind of knowing like i was destined for something a little more and so um I always still you want to go on about well, my career? You, yeah, I can well, go on no, forever. No, I'm curious. To, <laughs> I can get us to LA if you want. No, I'm curious that when you say destined for something more, was it already in your mind to live a life of service, or was that still something that was in the distance still for oh, you? Oh no, I mean, you met my mom. She's just meets strangers and just starts giving to them. We were in the line and this woman came in to buy food and she couldn't afford it and it was like Thanksgiving and my mom just 
turned to her and said, no, I'll take care of that. And Your like, mom being a single mom that also No, no, struggling? this happened this, this, this Thanksgiving. Oh, this Thanksgiving. Oh, yeah, she just looked over and this woman was older and she, she went and bought groceries and said, oh, I can't get these items because it's too much. My mom's like, no, we're getting you those items. Aww. Happy Thanksgiving. You know, that's who we are. Like, I'm raised by all women. So it's basically it's a whole different vibe, you know. I mean, I've, I had my mom's had relationships when I was growing up, but for the, and I had the relationship with my father. But for the most part, my role models were women, so I kind of had a different um, perspective. Sure. And she just happened to be the most giving person, regardless of gender, because I don't think it's specific to gender. Um, she just happened to be the most giving people I've ever met in my life. I mean, she's to a fault. Mm. which is we'll get into because it relates to the film. All right, well, let's pop over to that a little bit. How did you meet Tree Man? Tell, tell everyone who Tree Man is, firstly. Yeah, well, okay, so I'll, I'll put an ending on the visual effects thing. So I ended up getting into visual effects, realizing I needed to go a bigger market, and I ended up in, in L.A. So I rented this, um, this office in Venice Beach. And Venice Beach, if people haven't been there or don't know about it, it's so eclectic with a, a, a million different artists, many of them who are living at the beach there are experiencing homelessness. It's a tr tradition that, to my knowledge, has been going on it, well since the 60s, since kind of like the hippie era, um, where people would, 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 be, would live outdoors, they would be unhoused, but they would actually also make tie-dye shirts, they would always work, they would always create some kind of art for survival. And so by the time that my career kind of ended up where it was, where I'd kind of, you know, working, had all these movie stars in my reel, and I'd kind of played with the, um, the big kids, like I said before, with visual effects, I was like, you know, I want to do something that has meaning. Maybe it's because my grandmother passed away and she was, we were super tight. And I, I was like, oh, well, mortality. Like, you know, now I really need to give to people. And, and now I'm kind of stable and have this income and I can be creative and everything's kind of locked in place. So I um, uh, started gifting um, documentaries to these artists experiencing homelessness on the beach and tree man was the second second artist and i uh i went up to him and said hey you know because he if for the audience if you google the tree man at venice beach you're gonna see this wild character i mean it is so surreal he's it, how tall is he he's ten? about 10 feet tall yeah and it's a surreal tree it's straight out of lord of the rings it's straight out of um I'm trying to think of that Guillermo del Toro film. Um, oh, Pan's Labyrinth. Pan's Labyrinth. It's that great film. Incredible the co the costuming that he does. So you know, I I I when I started gifting films, I, the first film I did was pretty successful. It was at the Hammer Museum. It was this guy that lived in the alley behind um, my office, and uh, um, and people really liked the film. So so I tracked him down, and um, I thought he was just like a guy. Uh, originally, I thought he was just an artist trying to make money on the beach. And what I discovered was, no, <laughs> he's like me. He's giving to strangers. Like the thing, same thing I was doing, trying to give to these artists. He was already doing it. Like he wasn't asking for money. Like he was going around talking to people. The first day we filmed was like 12 hours a day. Didn't ask for a penny and came back with $7. And I'm like, okay, wait, what? What? <laughs> like, this is not someone that's looking at his own survival. He's trying to do something. And then, then I started 
trying to understand his mission. And he's on this mission to reconnect us with our human nature and with each other. And this is the first man you met with. No, no, this is this Tree is Man. Tree man. This I'm all sorry. Tree man. Okay, you were talking about the person behind the yeah. office that got, got convoluted. I am sorry. I didn't mean to convolute it. So the, let's hold on. Before we skip ahead to Tree Man, the very first documentary was the guy living behind your office. Yeah. And what was that documentary called? So that one was called, and it was called The Art of Funky Pussy. Okay. And I ended up, I ended up. He swears a lot, so I ended up kind of pulling it down for now because we have s such a kid audience that I want to reach to in Which a family. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And trying to figure out what to do with that film. Um, he basically is an irreverent guy. He's lived on the beach in that parking lot for like 30 years and he makes uh, like pictures of a cat flipping you off. That's where the that's the Funky Pussy. So I came up with the, ta the, the name, the art of Funky Pussy because his name is Arthur. Uh -huh. And what happened was the Hammer Museum had the Venice Beach Biennial to celebrate Venice artists, and they made the Funky Pussy the poster. And I'm like, okay, that, and I'm going to start making my films because I was like, I wanted to start gifting these documentaries, and I thought this is a great start. So we, we, so they love the film, the community loved the film. I got all this great feedback from this little short film that I did in five days. So I thought I'll just do another one with Tree Man, and here we are seven years later. Yeah, okay, so you went up to Tree Man, he had made $7 just being out and about. Yeah, so I realized that um, I, I thought he was just an artist, you know, trying to make money on the beach to make a living, and then he, it was the opposite. I mean, he'll get some tips from people, and when he really needs, he's really struggling, he will say every once in a while, Tips are appreciated, but not expected. I use it for fertilizer to help me grow. Mm. But for the most part, he doesn't ask for anything. And so he's perpetuating his own homelessness, but he's doing something bigger in his mind. And what he's trying to do is reconnect us despite our differences and to kind of stop. He has this whole thing about don't judge a book by its cover and to stop them you know, judging each other, if whether we're wealthy, black, white, gender, uh, sexual orientation, all those things. Or, and this is going to be really unpopular, politics. I mean, he is going to treat you like family, whether no matter what your politics, whether you're liberal, whether you're conservative. And that's been a very interesting experience because he and I have joined forces because I really believe in what he's doing so that the film is taking the same mission as Tree Man where we want to connect our audience from every part of the world. Anyone that's not on are so entrenched and so afraid of uh, what's happening with Trump that, you know, Democrat side, you know, if you're not with us, you're against this or, you know, so it's really... Which unfortunately people don't understand that that's perpetuating the same emotion. The output is the same. It may have a... a a hold into a, something noble of saying like, oh, well, this side is this, this side is that. But it's still putting the same energy out. It's hard to, for people, I'm sure that's not on a popular belief system, but I'm the, you know. Well, let's, let's get into this. Well, I had a conversation, I, I went out to dinner the other night with my friend Chris, and uh, we started talking about Trump, and he said something sort of offhandedly like, oh, well, you you can't feel sorry for him. I said, I can, and I do. I, I do have empathy for him uh, because he's a human being. Even, I've had some people on the show that I could not disagree with more. We are on opposite sides of everything. 
on so many levels. But I think it's important to still believe that someone is a human being because otherwise, how will they ever have the capacity to change? Ever. Or find, it's sort of, <laughs> in a pedantic way, it reminds me of The Grinch That Stole Christmas. Right Here's this horrible Grinchy Grinch. And then one little Cindy Lou Who managed to get in there and grow his heart five times too big, right, for his body. And it's such a beautiful metaphor for possibility. Well, You're laughing. No, <laughs> I mean, I've been researching this for seven years. So I'm so right there with you on the playing field. We're like, we're right in the front together, about to step across the touchdown together and get a touchdown because Tree Man is a giant 10-foot walking, talking tree, Cindy Who Lou. Yeah. That's what he is. Cindy Lou Who. That's what he yeah. is. And and I'm trying to explain. Certain people get it. Certain people don't. And what's interesting with... Um, so it's getting back to your point about um, when you... You could argue in this country, if you wanted a democratic administration <laughs> and the people who were centrist, you wanted them to vote for you, if you put them down, you shame them, right. you ridicule them, if they have any conservative viewpoints, do you think they're going to vote for you? Right. So what's scary is the, the same the same interests that are wanting to protect humanity and the future of the human race are basically destroying their own chances to get their candidate in place because of, in my opinion, from what I research, kind of the loss of humility and the loss of taking the time to listen that, you know, this other side of the story. And then you have conservatives at the same side, same time, that they have so much care for humanity and often often there's all a huge christian base in this country that's looking at you know christian values and yet they're getting so concerned about just writing the government a blank check that they're trying to f fight for their short-term survival so then they're putting their humanity aside so it's to me what's fascinating is it's Liberals and conservatives want the same thing is what I've kind of come to thanks to Tree Man. He's, he's gotten my mind more open, to be honest, and to really look at this problem from a humanitarian. They both want survival. That's all anybody wants. Cons con conservatives just want short-term survival. Liberals want long-term survival. They want the same thing. And I think if we could, I think when you're in a tug of war and you don't want to lose an inch, you just don't listen to anything because you don't want to lose that inch. Right. But if conservatives were to just focus more on social issues and be a little more lean, like le leaning that direction, and liberals were to be a little more fiscally responsible and not just writing the government a blank check, which is a whole business itself of stealing money, um, just like corporations steal money, then I think if we, both sides came centrist, we'd, we'd be in good shape right now. I think that politicians operate like corporations, period. There, because that's who's funding them for the most part. Yeah, it's tricky. It's tricky to be a human being and hold on to your humanity. Because I've met folks, obviously from both sides of the aisle, all people that are apolitical, the whole gamut. And I think you hit the nail on the head that it is about a person's survival, whatever they deem to be that thing. If I am a white nationalist, for example, and for me, I'm concerned that the survival of the white race, which, of course, 
is for me i just want everyone to as uh warren Beatty says in uh bullworth i just want everyone to have sex with everyone so we're all the same color you know but guess what when we're all the same color we'll find something else to hate about right size of your ears or your fingernails i talk about that all the time on this show it's really the trick i think is to look at someone and see yourself that is the that is the hardest thing in the world for a human being to do because of that that idea that i've got to survive instead of you've got to survive too because you are it's a symbiotic relationship the world is a symbiotic relationship but it's so easy to forget that stuff well, you know, and pe- people are looking at each other that are liberals and conservatives. They're both looking at like, hey, you're taking away from my survival. The difference is one is thinking more short term, one is thinking more long term. They're yeah. both valid viewpoints. And some people are doing it on the backs of, of uh, the underdog or people that are marginalized or, you know, religion convolutes things. And, you know, I'm a Christian, but I'm not really following the Christ consciousness. There's there's all sorts of things going on there, you know. The the newspapers scream about this, that, and the other. It's it's very hard to maintain a sense of humanity when you're being screamed at all the time by newsprint and televisions. Yeah. If you turn all that stuff off and you stop reading all that stuff and you just look at your fellow human being, then maybe that's a start. I mean, that's basically... That's Tree Man's manifesto. So again, he's trying to he get... He and I are like this! No, no, I mean, absolutely. So that's that's what it blew me away about him. He's basically walking up to be treating everybody like family and trying to get us to see each other in what? each other's eyes. Okay, so a green man is walking up to... Now, that's a hyper-reality, but a green tree is walking up to someone who's maybe, I don't know, uh, hyper white or something you know i don't know what I threw you a wrench in and i'll tell you why i threw a wrench in because his whole reason he wears the mask and the tree and he doesn't let you see his race is because he wants you to see that we're all reflections of nature mm. we're all reflections of each other mm-hmm. people can't see his eyes because they're behind the mask people move in closer to see his eyes and he's putting little broken pieces of mirror in front of his eyes so when you look to see him you see yourself. I love that so much. And it's interesting that they're broken. Oh, because we're all flawed as humans. That's Not his, only uh, he, are we flawed, yeah, but yeah. if you look into a broken mirror, you see several images of yourself. Because we're not, we are not a linear being. There's so much to us. There's so many layers and levels. And every experience that we've had, you know, people talk about the onion. Every experience we have puts another layer. And... <laughs> We are a mosaic at best. Yeah, we're complex. Yeah. So it's it's interesting when you, you 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 know you're kind of it's funny because when I talk to people that are really chewing on this problem like I have been and thinking about humanity and really opening themselves up to not put people in a box of either left right right wrong which is happening in the media. It's hard not to look at people say in the contain in detainment camps and not go that's wrong. I mean, just on a human level, that's wrong. Okay. You know what I mean? But in so general, how do you, in, yeah. in broad brushstrokes, sure, sure. looking at the world, yeah. when you see someone um, that's just because they are a business person and all of a sudden they're conservative wearing a khaki pants and to say, okay, that person belongs in this box. Sure. So it's it's really easy to put people into these 
these two separate things, to see the world as binary, to see the world as a zero or one. I think that the the coding in what's happening with digital media is trying to divide us into those boxes mm. because that allows um, well, there's a number of reasons. Um, it allows you to monetize things because if people are in these two different camps, you can build up this one camp or you can build up one side or you can put them against each other because anger is a really great algorithm to get clicks because the ads pop up. There's a great book by uh, Matt Taibbi. He's a, um, or Taibbi, sorry. He is a, a journalist and it's called Hate Inc. And um, I don't agree with everything that he says. I don't agree with everything that I research, you know, just so people hear what I'm talking about. I'm not binary either. I'm a mishmash, like you said, a mosaic. Yeah. But this Hate Inc. book is really interesting because he breaks down his experience as a journalist. His dad was a journalist growing up from a kid and looking at how right now journalists, the only way for them to survive, if they do true journalism, like where you're, you're unbiased and you're not editorializing and you're doing these deep dives into finding corruption, these big risky stories, there's no, uh, there's no way to survive. It's all clickbait now because you're competing with the online world. And if you go after any of the big businesses and the story breaks, two days later people forget about it, then that big business comes back and sue you. You don't have the revenue from the readership from that big story that, that carries for months to carry that risk. So now the stories are this, like a reality TV show. That's we have I, become a giant yeah. reality TV show. And reality TV, of course, as we all know, is absolutely scripted. There's nothing real about it. Yeah, so. the producers in the background playing with it. Yeah, it's yeah. The, the great and powerful Oz. I don't consider myself a binary thinker uh, either. Um, and it is interesting whenever I read like I read Homo Deus, which is a great book, but I certainly didn't agree with everything he had to say. You know, and that's okay. Yeah. It's okay to to go and read things and research things and understand things yeah. and not be 100% on board with something. Does your audience know what Homo Deus is? I've talked about it before. Oh, okay. So, Future. <laughs> I read Sapiens, which is I the history. I read that too, yeah. And Sapiens by Yuval Harari, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, that, you were braver than I. I didn't want to say that. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, <laughs> but that's right. You all heard. Okay. Yeah. I mean, these are books that I pull from, and again, that's why I want the audience to, to not ever look at anything I say or Treeman says as binary. We're, you know, we're we're humans. We're flawed, and that's actually part of our beauty. But you can pull things that make sense, and then you can question things. But um, one thing that he said that was really interesting, he had this whole premise, and I think you and I actually talked about this uh, one time on Abbott Kinney over cocktails, uh, is that um, is that our uh, specific subspecies of archaic humans, which I believe we're Homo sapiens versus Neanderthal um, versus you know many others homo erectus homo erectus there's, the, of, there's a little pile thank you uh, i am part neanderthal i just want to put that oh yeah there. if you do Shout your whole to, yeah oh uh, 23 <laughs> and me my neanderthal brothers and sisters <laughs> 23 and me yeah. yeah yeah um but one of the things he argued was the reason that our species our subspecies was able to survive and kind of knock out the other ones for the most part there was some interbreeding apparently yeah um was. was that we could um we could get larger, our tribes larger than about 100 or something like that. Because, you know, if you get past 100, how could you trust someone? Because it's all word of mouth. Like gossip and 
which relates to the news is part of our survival, which he, which is part of our species. You can see that in other research, even Darwin, I'm imagining. Um, well, that one, i got to remember. It might not have been Darwin. Um, Darwin to, wrote for Newsweek. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I read too much. Um, but my point being is what he, he said was that... Uh, is that because we believe in the same fiction, now all of a sudden it's like, you believe in the sun god, I believe in the sun god. Now all of a sudden you can grow the group. The tribe. The tribe, yeah. And now you have this Facebook or you have political left or right or you have M Muslim and Christian or you have um, people that are... Uh, uh, global warming uh, scientists, people that want to follow that science, and you have vegans, and you have carnivores, and you know, and all this, and uh, and everyone is one hundred percent right. Yeah, everybody's one hundred percent right. There's no way to actually, <laughs> and and I think that when you talk to people is not true. But I thought it was interesting that believing in fiction is how we can gather into larger tribes. So, for example, the light red means we have to stop. And right now, what I think is happening is the digital kind of world of ideas seeing the world through the lens of digital media is really in my opinion uh clouding our vision and making us think that there's only one uh kind of there's only one reality to believe in mm. or which um, is dangerous or one fiction i should say because someone else is creating that reality for you you are consuming it like a, a breakfast lunch and dinner it's an algorithm yeah your reality is an algorithm your phone tells you everything you already agree with so how but we all, I mean, you and I are pretty close to this because we follow, but a lot of people in the audience, hopefully new, new, new people, will realize that like when you listen to your phones giving you things you already like, you're missing something from 20 years ago when you watched the news and it was the news. Yeah. It was just whether you like it or not, you heard opposing opinions. Right. And now in college, there's an exercise that we did in college, which was try to prove your opponent mm -hmm. right. So you would go in and find like a racist person in history and try to prove their point, right? which is really hard. But you might find where their fear is. You might actually understand them so you can communicate with them. Mm -hmm. Now they will actually get the teacher fired for trying right. to do that exercise. Right. And what you don't realize is yeah. that exercise is the key to figure out how to communicate with the person you disagree with in order to actually pull them over like Cindy Lou. It's, the, it's so crazy. What I found fascinating, uh, critical thinking, is such a paramount part of your brain's existence and curiosity it all feeds into itself in in that now colleges like you said have shut down the ideas that they don't want people that think differently or speak differently i mean i'm not saying have adolf hitler come speak at your school that's not what i'm talking about but people who maybe don't have the same viewpoint or i think there is a certain line to be drawn for hate speech I, I do think that, you know, hate speech shouldn't, that incites riot, that incites violence, should not get a free pass. I'm, I have a pretty hard line on that because I think it's so dangerous. Because I don't, like, when I was a little kid, my parents wouldn't let me watch All in the Family, for example, because they didn't think I was old enough to understand the irony and the, the commentary mm. that was being made. And they're likely right, because what if I'd heard Archie Bunker say you know, something anti-Semitic and, and my brain hadn't developed to a point where I understood that that was a commentary, you know? So here are these people that are um, super liberal who are saying, oh, you can't do that in class. You can't teach that assignment. But they don't understand that that's exactly what they're 
rallying against when they're saying, oh my God, how can you take critical thinking out of school? And nobody sees that it's the same damn thing. It makes yeah. me crazy. <laughs> well, it's an interesting time. It's, it, people are well-intentioned, but I think taking away free speech, you know, it sounds great now when uh, media is controlled by the left, but what if the media is controlled by the right some way and, and you created... It is. You it's created, controlled by both. You, you, you created so that now it's legislated. There's law that says you can't say certain things. What if those things are things you don't agree with? I think this country's free speech is important. You know, I agree. And I do, I do think free speech is important, but not when it incites violence. I yeah. think because people, I hate to say it, but they're not necessarily skilled in, in, in stepping back from that and making a personal decision. It's a fever pitch when someone is screaming at you inciting something dangerous and violent like all you know all gays should be killed or whatever then that's dangerous because the people listening might not have the skills to understand that that person is hateful and i shouldn't go kill someone because of their hate you know do you know what i'm saying i mean it's you tricky, know the 70s basically when that happened people just was peaceful and they were able to demonstrate and handle it i just think now people it wasn't always peaceful there was a lot of riots and things it's true but there was like that whole movement of of it was uh on the obviously black panthers and like a lot of things are like using violence as a means for protest um but there was also uh, there's the the kind of hippie movement i mean i'm from non-violent area protest. yeah i'm I from you're talking about, that sure. area where it was non-violent now it's fascinating to look at berkeley you know being fourth generation from that part of the world and ha you know um it's fascinating to just kind of see now where these kids are using violence i've never really you know it was more like a sit-in you would use non-violence to try to protest mm. so uh, it's interesting because the second you start squashing free speech, you know, it's a fine line. Yeah, but free speech is protected, but within the confines of that protection, it specifically says not yeah. when it incites violence. No, no, I, I, I'm, I'm well aware. I'm thinking about this one a lot. It's a, it's a tricky one, um, especially because the second you start taking out the speech of people that you don't agree with, even if it's ugly... You don't even know where they are. I think you make them stronger. Like when I look at the Charleston, Charles, Charleston, you know, those rides of things. If people could have just stood by there that were, that were protesting against these white nationalists and just basically sat there among each other's and just snickered like what a bunch of dorks they have tiki torches and they're like going like anti you know immigration but like tiki torches are not from the u.s you know i don't know i just think it would be if they would have just sat there and just ridiculed and just been like held a sign up and said you guys are dorks you know then i think They'd have the white nationalists have zero power. The story would have had it would have just been they would have been a mock mockery. There's some hate speech people that come to Venice um, that um, they um, like you'll burn in hell if you don't believe in Jesus and these kind of things. Sort of the Westboro. Very much like them, yeah. I am very curious about. I would love to have somebody from there. I she so, get his daughter, the founder. She she turned. She renounced, right? You got to get yeah, her. She's I would really love cool. To. Yeah, uh, I don't have any power to do that, yeah, but, but if I ever do, she's 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 one of the people that I look at when uh, when I take Treeman's um, message forward to try to see how can we get along with people we disagree with. 
she's one and there's another gentleman i'm trying to think of his name where he used to recruit for white nationalist kind of like skinhead mm-hmm. and, and nazi guys and um i had a former neo-nazi on the show and he was really interesting and then yeah. of course i had richard nichols oh KKK yeah guy that was an amazing podcast yeah thank you it, but again it's that thing of if i just quiet down for a second and listen and say yeah. so why do you think that way yeah you know it's it's a fascinating what you learn about yourself as well no, you, but you got him to say things i was shocked you got him to turn opinion you changed opinion in one podcast about people of color i thought that was amazing but i'm um, going back to the gentleman that or that he basically recruited um you know white nationalists now he actually goes around the world and speaks and and helps to educate people that white people who are in these poor neighborhoods that are subject to become prey to get recruited and he teaches them to let them know how the tricks are and how that and so he stops it yeah richard uh, talked about because he's a recruiter and I, and he said that he looks for kids who are lonely or maybe uh being abused or you know it's the same thing that a sex trafficker uses the same tactic yeah. you look for the weakest person in the group yeah. and and start giving them attention and love yeah and then we see them afterwards and think oh they're a piece of shit and we should just uh pardon my french we should just dehumanize that person but anyway i, I wanted to say so here we are um it's the Hare krishna festival it's called the festival chariots and they're, they're dancing with all their flowers and you know they are like the sweetest people mm. they're like if you don't believe what we believe no worries but we're gonna dance with flowers and you can come join us if you want to hear about our religion no worries we'll feed you for free all this vegan stuff no mm. karma yeah, they food. had a big thanksgiving feast yeah they're giving all the time so anyway tree man's always dancing through with all the Hare krishnas and he's hare 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 whoa and he's covered in flowers you know he just really fits in but behind them is this kind of Westboro Baptist mm. Church type group, you know, with their megaphones, hate speech, you know, doing everything they can to disrespect. But there were, there are people there that know they're going to come and they have, so they'll have these signs that'll say that um, uh, God hates fags or this or that. And then there'll be another guy that's <laughs> with a sign that's not with them that says, God hates signs. You know, like mm-hmm. making a mockery of them. So I think if we learned, you know, if we learn to kind of step up our game and be a little more intelligent about these people that are saying things that are so backwards thinking and racist and those kind of things. And instead of like getting in a physical art altercation and learned how to be nonviolent, we would rise to the top. Those we those people that were doing all the hate speech would just be a ridicule. And it's the same in politics. If we could rise above and instead of becoming like Trump, the same way that he blames people and is totally insecure and can't control his temper, uh, then then people they they probably see that people that were more sent on the the Democrats would probably be back in administration. But where we're at now, I think it's so much of a blame game. I would you know I I don't know I don't know how anyone's gonna stop him in the next election because we're too busy being enraged with this kind I'm of recreational outrage to step back have some humility and realize that we're all on the same team team humanity and again that's that's this movie that's what i've been doing for seven years and yeah this guy so is. seven years is a long time to be working that was a great conversation 
<laughs> I could talk with you about this stuff all day. No, I mean I'm but, concerned we're gonna like. No, you know, it's this. okay. So let's <laughs> let's tact again because the next and switch over. So seven years. Yeah, seven that's years. a really long time to be working. I mean, maybe it's not. I've never done a documentary. Is that an average time? Is that extraordinary? Well, this is this is basically um, you know this is my my first documentary I've directed uh, that's like a you know a full on long form piece i mean other than the shorts and i've worked with um uh Werner herzog on a number of films you know i was uh you know doing color visual effects editorial i mean <laughs> you know he I, I bumped into him at a screening he doesn't know who i am but he's very serious i used to drop jokes in german because i speak a lot of languages and he was like let's just do the work and, you know like he's he's so damn serious but well, my point is, is that you know following along his documentaries and looking at his films you know i've seen um i think they take like five years but i think it just depends on the film and our film started to be to look at the joy you receive when giving selflessly to a stranger that was basically our tagline like that's like this is what we're doing and you know and he and i we're on a mission together like he's a, he's someone experiencing homelessness so here i am making a film with someone who's experiencing homelessness but then i like try to get help in hollywood and they're like uh why is this guy involved i'm like because it's one of those documentaries where the film you know the director is involved in the story and and it also reflects the story it's all about reflections that we're working together and there's no different you know wasn't very popular for this particular group. I'm finding, you know, the right groups of people, but... Um, what was that like, for, and just yeah, as a side note, when you would be with homeless people by day and then go home to your bed at night, did you have any feelings of... Did you see that as a... What's, I don't know, even an opulence, I guess, or... I don't feel an opulence, but I feel a gratitude. It's funny you say that. I mean, literally, um, oh man, I get a little, there's a couple things I get teary about on this stuff because it's so heavy. Sure. I'm not going to, I will not cry on this podcast, but, um, you would not be the I first. Get so, <laughs> I get so close. I've heard you cry. Yeah, lots. I get so close to people on the streets. You know what I mean? It's like, look, at, I was doing visual effects, working on more than $100 million movies, like hundreds of million dollar movies. And, you know, I have like a lot of expendable income, you know, and I was like going out and traveling and part. I was like, you know, life was was pretty. You know, and then you see someone that's on the streets and you're, you know, you, it's easy to see that person as other. Right. Like other, you know, depending on the person, maybe if they're not, especially if they're not handicapped, because a lot of times there's that term bums you hear over time or people that are just, you know, out there, winos and those kind of things. And then you could you could see yourself as separate like that's this whole other world. And. You know, I might not just connect with that person. I, I'm not saying I'm, I was that way, but I'm just saying like I had kind of my own. I wasn't on the inside, so I had a viewpoint of that of this other world. And working with Tree Man really taught me to take my care for humanity well beyond that. Like I thought I was an you know understanding person then, but when you get on the inside, you realize there's definitely people, especially in Venice, <laughs> smoking weed getting free phones from the government, free food, totally stealing from the government, robbing us blind, 100%. But there's so many people now, like 54% of the new people that are homeless in Los Angeles are just under financial stress and it's breaking them. And, and um, it's a cyclical. 
thing too, right? They, Those are the new, the first time homeless people. Hmm. Or the, yeah, first time, 54%. So that means more than half of the people it's financed, not mental or not drugs is what I'm trying to get at. I'm realizing it's mothers now. It's mothers with their kids. It's 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 because the, the, there's there's very little uh, housing being built, and the property, uh, the the life of the, you know the, the rents are going up, and you know and and basically income's not going up the same rate as the rents, and and so uh, people are they end up in the streets now are are. I mean, it could be you and me. I've been, I had a homeless summer. I had a, a where I was homeless. I was living in my, um, in my van because I just couldn't handle the money. This I, is what I think is why homelessness makes people so uncomfortable is because it's the mirror. It's, it's not too many steps to be the person that's you're looking at there on the street. It's not too many steps at all. And that's terrifying for a lot of people. They don't know it's terror that they're feeling. They don't know it's fear. Fear and anger are bedfellows. Oh, absolutely. So in, instead of touching it as fear, they touch it as anger because it's a much more comfortable place to be. Yeah, or judgment. Yeah. That's the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so maybe, you know, maybe that's the thing that I was trying to say that before this film, maybe I didn't see my reflection in people that were experiencing homelessness in the same way as I do now. Now, when I'm out with the tree man um, or other people that are in those circles and then I get back to my bed, the thing I think about is like, wow, I'm so grateful just to be, you know, indoors right now. And this is this is a gift in itself. You know, because when you when you do have success financially, um, not that I'm suc that successful, but when I had success, uh, when I have had successes, you know, you you it's easy to forget and just get and be like, oh, that person's got a nice car, you know, and so my car's from 2005, so just so you know, <laughs> mine's 2008. I feel you. I love my little toaster oven. Uh, that's what I call her. <laughs> Um, when you experience Tree Man being seen by people, for the most part, everyone is full up of joy, or are there people that are like, what the hell is this guy doing? Sometimes, the thing about Tree Man is, I find that 90% of the time, people break through and love it. There's a thing he does, they're called Tree Awakenings. He doesn't do what the Bushman does in San Francisco. The Bushman is this, this man that's experiencing homelessness, hides behind a bush and goes, rah, and people are walking by, scares them, and then he gets tips whenever you. But tree men will just stand there and not even move, and they'll just say hi when they walk by, and they will scream bloody murder, <laughs> drop their pizza or what have you. So sometimes people are annoyed by the tree awakenings, but it's rare. Usually what happens is they get a tree awakening, it scares them, and then he goes, oh, um, that's a tree awakening. It's a good thing. I'm here to um, remind us to be aware of our human nature and our natural surroundings. And they, usually they laughed. But the thing that's really magical about a tree awakening is that that's his moment to have a conversation with a stranger. And that's when he will blow minds. I've seen him. There was a woman. We were on Hollywood Boulevard, and she had a tree awakening. And then she was standing there watching him. All these tree awakenings kept happening and the crowd started gathering because as people are walking down, they don't see tree man. And so people will take pictures and be part of it. And he's not asking for a penny, you know, even though he gets some tips. And and um, this woman, her, her, her friend had just died. 
I'll give this one thing away from the film because there's there's lots in the film that I want to save. Um, but uh, her friend had died, and just seeing this, that there was a stranger out on the streets that was just taking the time to give people attention, make them laugh, lighten their day, have a conversation once he did, and he's in this beautiful, incredibly wild, surreal tree outfit, she breaks down crying and saying, this is what the world needs. Why aren't we just being kind to each other? Why aren't we just giving a little joy in our lives? And so he, he I've seen him get people to, to tears a lot because they look at the beauty of what he's doing. And it's really hard to translate in a film because unless you meet him in person, we're, we're there for sure. But um, that's another reason why it took so long. But uh, yeah. And he's down in Venice a lot still? Um, he's still in Venice. I don't want to give too much away about the story, um, but I will say that a big part of our story is looking at the bridge out of homelessness. Mm. And after 20 years of being homeless, the tree man is crossing that bridge. I'll, I'll say that's about as far as I'll go. Let's talk a little bit about the Belief Project. Belieflets. Yeah. So Okay, so that's a good segue in Belieflets. So, Belieflets... Okay, so from the beginning, Tree Man and I... And I should say Lionel. Lionel Powell is the Tree Man. I want to give his real name. But we, I like to call him Tree. <laughs> but um, from the beginning, Tree Man and I saw the documentary, you know, immediately, like, we started... Uh, to make the film and I think, oh, it's another 10 minute film I'm gonna make and just put it out, shoot it in five days. All of a sudden I was like, wait, you play music? Oh, you like to dance and oh, you like costuming and all, all of a sudden this guy is my best friend, you know? And, you know, certain people were kind of that were not homeless, people in like, that I was saying, they're in the bubble, were kind of like, why is Michelangelo hanging out with this homeless guy? Or like some people would be like, ooh, isn't it cool that he hangs out with someone who's experiencing homeless? Like, you know, so it was a real interesting thing to see. But we became best friends. We started playing music together. We did all these things. And that's, we realized really quickly, like, this is, this, we wanted, this is not a, a, a film where we're just going to tell the story and spit it out there. This is a movement. Mm -hmm. And we want to make a change. And he always has these ideas about how to make change. But, you know, his mind's a little bit different, you know, being out there all that long and he's got a very unique mind. He's a genius, but a very unique mind. So for him to organize and actually put the parts together of how to get a structure enough to put that together, that's a little bit trickier for him. Me, I'm super structure guy. Like I do visual effects. I mean, I'm into math, you know, but I'm also into creativity. So I kind of have that, I guess, is it left, right brain? So we were kind of almost, I think, waiting for the right fit for us of what we were going to do to make change. We tried many things. We've done environmental things. We've been feeding the home, uh, hungry on the beach. Um, we've done uh, free art education for children. We've done a lot of explorations of giving to the joy you receive when giving to strangers. But now the narrative is really boiled down to this bridge out of homelessness. How can we use Lionel's story and journey to cross the bridge out of homelessness so that other people who are experiencing homelessness can get off the streets. And we've got a formula. And we've been working with LA County government to do it, the Los Angeles Homeless Services Authority. Um, we've been working with 
Chrysalis, which is this incredible employment program that um, gets you prepared to go back into the rejoin the workforce uh, and can get you into a transitional job for a year. So that means right now, if you're living on the streets and you're like, I want to change, we've got the steps to get uh, to get you into housing and um, uh, and recovery, especially if you're uh, uh, work capable. And so what we did is we looked at the problem. Homelessness is so big, we can't solve the whole thing, the two of us together, but we certainly can take a chunk out of it by using his story. So who's like he is? Maybe they have some struggles. Maybe they've been in the street for a while. Maybe they have a learning disability, but yet they're still relatively functioning where they could do a job, okay? So what the leaflets are, they started, oh, this is one of the cry things again. Okay. Okay, they started with this uh, this woman that I that I saw on the beach who was pregnant and she was homeless, uh, experiencing homelessness. I'm trying to switch my language because that's 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 a better way to say it. And um, I knew that I couldn't. This is beyond my capability because I know a lot about homelessness, but pregnancy. That's I mean I'm you know I know a lot about women's lives being raised by women, but pregnancy that's pretty heavy duty and being on the streets. So I went up to my office and I started to research like quickly. I didn't want her to, to leave. So I ran upstairs and then I um, I started researching and I realized there's women's shelters and there's one even specifically for women experiencing homelessness right in Santa Monica. I print everything up. I go down to her. She's still there. And I start talking to her because that's the first step. Just talking to someone. That's what LASA, Los Angeles Homeless Services Authority told me is the first step talking to someone who's experiencing homelessness is the first step towards change. And and then I, after I kind of had a little rapport with her, I said, you know, I'm curious, did you know about any services? I noticed that you're expecting, did you know there's any services? She said, no, and I said, I printed this up for you. And then she just looked up at me and you could just see in her eyes, you know, this hope, like, holy shit. Like, And this person cares enough to have I think that's the big part of that's it. That's a too, huge yeah. part of it. Yeah. But so 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 I gave her that information and I said, Yeah, you could just go, that's not far from here. And she was like, Okay, I'm gonna go. And in my I mean, I gotta tell I'm doing I'm not gonna cry right now, but I was gonna tell you, like, I cried then like a baby, because I was like, Now I get it. There's people that are out there that are lost. You know, some are taking advantage of the system, but some are just kind of lost. Some are really deeply lost where maybe they're drug addicted or they're Mental mentally illness, ill. Yeah. But there's this middle, and that's the biggest group that's growing right now. They're lost in our society and they just need the, 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 the bridge to, to get back out. So I immediately, I said, Tree Man, you got to come over. We got to shoot an interview. We do these silhouette interviews where we shoot Lionel um, and I against the sky. Oh, I just gave away a second thing. All right, you can put that in. It's okay. And um, um, <laughs> they won't know what that means. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Good. <laughs> Trust me. I have. A, I have a feeling people will watch this documentary. Okay. Well, <laughs> we're still in the middle of making it, but the but the leaflets are available now on the website. That's what I'll say. So, so I said I told him the story on camera. I mean, actually, we were talking, you know, about women being homeless and how heavy it is, and he sees a lot of predatory behavior out there. Sure. A lot of rape a lot of sexual assault and he started crying like really 
So now we're like crying. And then I said, well, what do you think about this idea where we could, and I don't even remember who to credit with. I'll have to look at the films or remember, but one of us, the leaf shaped leaf, it might, you know, and where we could put the steps that he's working through onto the, onto this leaflet, a leaf shaped leaflet. And, and that's when the leaflets were born. And they're basically cheat sheets to regionalize uh, homeless services. Right now, it's just for LA County. So any whatever zip code you are in LA, you can print a, a leaflet in LA County. I'd like this just started on Giving Tuesday, December of this year. So in 2019. So that means if this is successful in LA and people take a leaflet, print it, and like you said, they go and talk to the person because. You can hand out a, a leaflet to someone that doesn't want it, and it doesn't matter. You make a rapport with them first. You can tell they want help. That's when you give them, and you can print them from the website. And and and, and I print them on cardstock, so they're thirty three cents each. I get a nice one. <laughs> so I don't want to just hand them out like candy, but I, I find the people that really are deserving. You can print them at home for for free. So, but um um, and so what the steps are are this for this particular group of people experiencing homelessness. First step is you get into what's called CES, which is like you find a CS entry point, and it means uh, coordinated entry system. I wouldn't even worry about the name of that, but the bottom line is that you go to a place that's all general services. They basically say, okay, wow, let's first get you, uh, get you a caseworker, let's get you some socks, let's get you some tampons, let's get you a razor, let's get you some food bank, let's get you fed, let's you get some hygiene, product, you know, here's a shower. That's the first step, because you've been out there. Then what they do is they'll refer you into whatever housing options are available for you. Once you've been kind of going to get coordinated entry system, they register you. And then from there, the way we look at the bridge across um, uh, out of homelessness is then is healthcare because what's happening is these people are outdoors. Whether you're in a cold part of the world, which will kill you so easily in Chicago, so many people that are experiencing homeless are dying, or you're in a sunny spot where your skin is getting get just you know and you're outdoors all the time and it's it's just too much sun. So a lot of. Um festering sores on feet and legs that I've seen the homeless folks that I've talked to. No, that's big. Yeah, I know. So, yeah. you, so next we get you to a the, the, the closest health center. Sure. And then, um, and if you look on our website right now, we have 21 different leaflets. There's so many health clinics. We have a link to get if they want one close to your zip code, but the leaflets are, are set up for all the yeah, other services. I'm there. curious on these uh, leaflets. There are addresses of places for them to go because they're oh, not going to have internet access to be able it's, to... It's everything. So what we have in the Bleaflet is the address, mm. the hours, mm. the phone number, mm -hmm. the website. Yeah, great. I'm buttoned down. We yeah. make sure. So Everything's there. Yeah. So together we have everything down. So, but once you get into healthcare, then they can go to a clinic. It does, you know, it's then get a, a medical clinic and they can start dealing with their health issues. So now they're getting some food, they're getting some hygiene, they're getting like the basics. They're registered to get into this housing option thing if they qualify. But it's really, you know, for this middle ground, you know, they're not mentally ill, they're not drug addicted. That's harder for tax dollars to pay for housing, and that, that's that's actually that seems reasonable if you think about it. So, really. The next step, once they're healthy, is let's get those who are work capable 
employed. Mm-hmm. You go to Chrysalis, we get the closest Chrysalis office. You go in there, they it's a that company has been around since the 80s working with businesses. And businesses are the reason that company works cuz businesses are sacrificing and hiring these hiring people, even people that are ex-cons giving them a fair chance. So, and then what happens is you they they give you they help you with your resume. They get you prepared for the job. They do a mock interview. They give you clean clothes so you can go to an interview. They give you an address for your mail. I mean, it's amazing. You go through the program. I'm, I'm, and I should know we're filming this week. I'm going to find out this week how long the program takes. We're going to be filming this week, but you go through the program, and it maybe I think maybe a month or two at the most, depending on how fast you go to the classes. That's what it is. Then, then you can get a transitional job for a year. Mm. That means any person in Los Angeles County who's on the streets can be employed in like a month or two, right? Now you've got money in your pocket. What do you do with that money? Do you want to wait for Section 8 housing? Do you want to wait? There's shared housing is something that they're starting to do now. So you take your own money, you combine it with whatever benefits you might have from the government if you can get some, and full disclosure, treatment doesn't have any, so he's just working from just his money. Oh, that was another thing. I will be fine. And then, and then you can get into shared housing. And there's a great group called ShareSelfHelp.org. Is their website? Share Collaborative Housing. And then uh, Chrysalis, by the way, is ChangedLives.org. I believe I'll put it all on your your notes page. But um, yeah, my links page. Your links page. But they're called Share Collaborative Housing. Share with an exclamation point. And they started as a research on. Um, and again, we're doing this interview this week, so I might not get it all right. But they started as a, as researching self help groups, like even coming out of like AA and those kind of groups. I think there was like an anthropological study that came out of a professor that was doing looking at you know people in need, and they realized there's like twenty thousand of these self help groups, and they started looking at collective all these people in need, and then when the, as the homeless challenge started becoming big, they started realizing there's a correlation. This is going to be crazy, Susan. Hey, human. There's a correlation between becoming homeless and feeling left out or, or, or whatever challenge you have in society or feeling outcast or you don't fill in and hitting depression or losing your wife in a car accident or what have you. So their program of shared housing is specifically set up so that after you've been living on the streets, you share a room with someone. And this sounds counterintuitive when I first heard it, like, why don't they get their own room? If you've been on the street for 20 years or so, and you get your own room, you lock the door. You're like, leave me alone, I got my space. You're just in your tent on the street, there's no difference. But when you share a room with someone, then all of a sudden, well, I don't wanna just sit in this room with this person all the time, you start using the house, you start using the kitchen, you go into the playroom, you go into the yard, they usually get big houses. And what happens is you end up getting socialized and you build a network of people and then you can start networking for jobs and the whole thing is run by people who have already gone through the housing. Lovely. And the last thing about Cher I'll say that I learned that's just crazy is the housing shortage in Los Angeles is not as much with single family homes. I think that's not the right word, single family home. That's, forget single, but smaller family homes. I'm not sure what the, the name is. There's actually a lot of vacancies in these um, lower income 
uh, full houses because people are usually trying to, to buy those because they're inexpensive. So they want to rent them. They're usually for sale more than rent. So that's where there's this huge opening. So they go in there, they rent it to, you know, they get four bedrooms and then you have, you know, or three bedrooms, whatever, and you have eight or six people living there. And they build this community and they rebuild their lives. And then once you've done that for a year or two or something and you've recovered, you're socialized, you take that to your job, your 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 job skills, because after the transitional job is over, then there's a whole network in self-help dot-org um, that whole company where you can help find a, tr a, a permanent job mm. and then you get permanent housing so it's it's not a flip of a switch but the belieflets are literally the steps to yeah. to getting um, to, to uh, getting out of uh, getting off the streets and, and you're hoping that it goes nationwide I, I would imagine yeah I mean let's make it work in LA County first I mean right now those things work so if you f go up and talk to someone and they want to get off the streets and they just follow those steps yeah and they get into a transitional job especially they they're going to be able to afford shared housing and they're going to be off the streets i mean i i mean I, legally i won't say this but i'll just say it's very possible to get off the streets and i would say um and be fully housed in half a year for those um that are were capable and aren't too mentally torn or drug addicted and what sure. have you by just following the steps on the darn belieflet <laughs> a documentary.com forward slash belieflets yeah i mean it's it's pretty exciting to be here and the uh, documentary is the name of the film obviously yeah it begins with an a ends with a tree a documentary <laughs> yeah i'll put links to all that stuff on yeah, I decided to mention in case yeah. someone's Googling. I, no, for I Google sure. and I listen. I always ask. And how can people find you as well? Um, yeah, so I am uh, Michael Angelo Media, three words, um, and then M-I-C-H-A-E-L, and then Angelo, and then media.com. And that's kind of my visual effects, um, and visual effects work. And But a lot, of the, a lot of my stuff online is actually about flow, but... Um, I'll, the fire stuff. Yeah, we could get on because Tree Man's the reason I found that. I don't know if I ever told you that. No, I didn't know that. You, you're it's called flow. It's fire dancing. What? What's? Well, um, oh, really quick to your Instagram yeah. is Instagram is man. I shortened it. Mangelo Media. M Angelo Media. Yeah. Okay. Because um, you post a lot of stuff on there. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, going to the so. Well, I guess the belieflets. Do you have any more questions about the belieflets? Because those, because that's I, pretty self-explanatory. It's wonderful. Yeah, I mean, I guess I wanted to just close that before we go into flow because what's interesting to me is there's a comfort that I have after all these years because I knew that the film was going to do something big to help people, and then now this is in place. It's almost like I put this beautiful cake in the oven and now it's going to cook you know and now we're going to see I'm, I'm hoping people use them and I'm, I know they will and they actually already are it's only been a week <laughs> um, and I'm already seeing people use them but now we have this measurable change and this is since we're wrapping production it's kind of a weird time it's almost like now I got all my footage now I have this social change going and now 
you can really just focus on watching it all grow and finish up with the editorial, which is so fun. And one person, you, had this idea, and then you met with Lionel, one person. Yeah. Anytime anyone thinks that one person can't do anything, I direct you to the center stage and say, guess what? <laughs> one, one is plenty. Yeah, I and mean... And it begets so much. We had a lot of volunteers. We've had, like... Of I don't know, 50 volunteers. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> no, it, it, it's a ripple. But yeah, I'm yeah, saying yeah. one idea. Yeah, for sure. What one idea can do, how it germin germinates and, and, and creates and becomes. And then, for all you know, one of those 50 people that volunteered will have their own aspirations of how to make the world a better place and bring humans together. And it's the ripple. Yeah, no, I mean, the, the even the... Sorry, sniffle. Even the first film that I, um, the short, The Art of Funky Pussy, I had people that went into documentary filmmaking after seeing that. So I don't know what's going to happen once this one finally gets it's out wonderful. there. Wonderful. Um, on that note, before we get a flow, I, um, it's a weird thing coming over here. I was thinking about talking to you and why I have spent all this time on this film. And I guess in a weird way, I always knew I had to do it. You know, when you, I don't know, you're, you have so many uh, things that you do, painting and music and podcast and acting and comedy. And I mean, I'm sure there's a million other things I don't know about, but there's a weird thing inside when you know you have a destiny to do something and a lot of things in your life maybe get derailed or go off the rails or you make mistakes because there's this thing you need to do. And it, it took me a long time to get here to realize, oh, here it is. So it's been a, um, that, I think that's why the seven year thing is happening is because it, it's not something you can rush. It, it has to, it has to grow. Yeah. Like a tree. Like a tree. Exactly. All right. Really quickly. Let's, uh, flow is the art of fire dancing. What is, well, you've lost some eyebrows in the process and they've yeah. grown back of course. But <laughs> yeah. I've burned some eyebrows for sure. Um, I found, this thing called flow state based on um you know tree man really making me look at our relationship to nature because there's so much heavy technology addiction like i'm dealing with my technology addiction i stare at a computer to do visual effects to make a living to pay for a documentary where i stare at a computer learn listening to this man who's um experiencing homelessness dressing as a tree <laughs> telling us to be with nature but then <laughs> i'm not being with nature <laughs> speaking of flow it's very it's a flow chart <laughs> so yeah so i end up really um i needed time to to kind of wash away all this technology as i try to make this movie that's reminding us to connect to nature and live the what i'm you know walk the walk um and so I started looking at what makes us happy and the neuroscience of happiness. There's a there's a whole cover story on, um, um, I think, Time, Time Magazine, The Science of Happiness that came out this year. It was really good. Um, and uh, well-being, National Geographic did the same month, a thing on well-being and, and mental well-being, um, spiritual. And uh, so then I discovered... Um, through looking at neuroscience, this thing called flow state and this kind of optimal state of performance. So a guy who does a lot, bunch of books on it, Stephen Kotler. Um, uh, it's called uh, The Rise of Superman is one of his books um, that's really amazing. And 
it looks at when we're at our best creatively athletes use it navy seals use it musicians is in a flow state um and so i was like wow this this is what i think this is what tree man's doing and i started realizing when he's on stilts he's in this state of flow where he's connecting with people and people are picking up on like it's almost like you want to be with someone that's happy you definitely want to be with someone on flow you can feel this 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 groove of life and so then i started researching realizing oh wait there's a whole thing called flow arts where people play with fire and i'm like oh i'm from san francisco originally like i i, I know those people i've seen all those fire spinners so i started looking in it and i'm into gymnastics i'm into a lot of um athletics surfing all that kind of business and so I started learning to to do flow and I went to my first fire festival after only four days of of uh, starting to learn to spin fire so flow is based flow arts is basically looking at how can you get into this mental state by I guess you could call it spinning spinning things but um you have a staff that you spin like those those Polynesian dancers and they light it on fire but there's all these different tools like a rope dart like they have in kill bill with that the woman with the schoolgirl outfit and she's got the the metal ball at the end well that can be on fire and um yeah check out flow mayhem on instagram uh sam is a badass she's uh she's um one that does the the fire dart it's amazing so anyway i went to the fire festival and that's where i met jeffrey who invited me to the jefferson jefferson sorry the fire jam on the east side where i met you um but i started to realize that when i was using these tools it you can get into flow state by walking your dog you can get a flow state by going for a light run you don't want to go too for heavy too heavy of a run it's basically the space of being completely absorbed in an activity and there should be a learning element to it but it can't be too heavy where it becomes frustrating and irritating it's almost if you think about flow states it can be almost when you're at your happiest you're you're in the zone like as an athlete so this started last year and um basically it's my meditation and i am in the car right now i have a dragon staff and i have a contact staff i'm ready to spin fire anywhere anytime and it sounds counterintuitive that you would play spinning fire to find a meditative state but when you practice enough without fire the fire just becomes this visceral kind of um you know of of the earth um yeah. it, experience that just you know intensifies your flow state hmm. yeah so that's so cool yeah neat and people can see you do that down at the beach a lot i'm sure down in venice well it's illegal to beach i, oh, I yeah I, I i don't think i've ever done that i cannot answer that at this time <laughs> where do you do it I know that you, you can legally do it um you can legally do it when it's permitted which i've done at the beach and there are some groups um if you go to facebook but you definitely have to go through all the like safety stuff sure, first of course. there's a burn club in los angeles but you definitely considering know. we live in a desert that likes to light on fire a lot it's probably smart to do all the things legally yeah no definitely do all the things legally but there's plenty of practice groups where you can go and do flow without fire and you you actually practice about 95 percent of the time without fire because lighting up as fuel and all these other things so that's you know makes sense yeah yeah you live a very interesting life 
It's not boring, yeah. <laughs> Michael, thank you. Is there any last parting things you wanted to talk about? With no, the I mean, I did scribble did you, notes, but I feel like, uh, you know, we I, knew, a lot we, of I knew we wouldn't look at any of it and we would just flow, but, and I'll put the, the books and things if people are interested yeah, in Yeah, send me the, any um, of that stuff and I'll put it on the Oh, no, page. this is the one thing I wanted to say. The guy that, the flow is being researched you know, it started in the teens, like about a hundred years ago. They were looking at optimal performance. So it's not like a, a hippie thing. It's just really funny that everyone thinks it's like a hippie thing. It's actually neuroscience. But in the seventies, when all the gurus started coming over to the Western world, the hippies adapted flow for yoga and all these things, which is part of that too. Mm. But really now that the internet's making information available, people are realizing like flow is for everyone. You know what I mean? And, um, but I wanted to say the guy's name because I wrote it down so I could pronounce it. That he's kind of like the father of Flo, who did all the research and he's got a number of books. He's born in 1934, he's Hungarian. His name is Mihai Csikszentmihalyi. And uh, I definitely won't try to spell that name, but that's the only thing I wrote down. Okay, well, great. And uh, again, I'll put lots of stuff on the links page because I think we covered a lot of ground. Michael, yay! Thank you, and please give my love to Lionel. Yeah, and I, you know, I hope, I hope someday we'll we'll be back, and the film will be a success, and you'll get to maybe speak be. with him or something. Someday. Yeah, that'd be really wonderful. Thank you for being here. Thanks and for having for me. Sharing your story. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. 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 See you later. Rate and review Hey Human on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thank you. Bye.